0: For some of you, this is your first time here at Parker Ford Church and I just want to say Welcome. We're really glad that you're here with us today And uh, we i'm I don't know you yet I don't know any of your story and it might be a crazy story or it might be a real simple story or whatever But it doesn't really matter either way We're grateful that you're here and we're glad you're here. So thanks for being here There's a slogan that this church has had for a long long time Parker Ford Church a church where everyone's always welcome and uh we have another phrase, which is also called Park Four Church, people following Christ. And uh, while well, we are a people who uh, try to know God and go after him, we also recognize that we're a people who are all on a journey and trying to figure it out. So wherever you're at in your own journey, we're glad that you're here with us today. And uh, I'm going to be bringing us a little bit from the word this morning, but obviously it's going to be pretty scaled back since we have many kids among us. So this is, uh, we're going to scale it back a little bit, but you know, whether you are new with us or whether you've been here for a long time, I want to ask a question of us. Why are you here this morning? Why are you here? And that might sound like a silly question. I mean, some of us, the answer is, well, because my kids were in VBS, duh, you know, and others are because Tim, well, you see me here every week. This is my church. This is what we do on Sundays. Uh, But I want to ask from maybe a different perspective, not just from our own perspective. Why do we want to be here But why are we here according to someone else's perspective, according to God's perspective? Why are we here? And maybe even ask it in a different way. Maybe take away the building from around us and take away Parker Ford Church and just sit us here on this planet, alive and breathing in the land of the living. And and we ask this question, why are we here? And maybe we even emphasize it a little bit different. Like, why are we here, you know? Why are we here? What gives us the right to even be here? You know, from a God perspective, one of these uh, great questions that's out there is if, if I were to pass today and I were to stand in front of the gates of, of heaven, you know, and, and God shows up and he were to ask me, why should I let you into heaven right now? You know, why are you here? That's a pretty intense question, isn't it? Why are you here? Well, I think here we are in the presence of God. This is the house of God church, the house of God and why are we here is a is a really important question For us to ask ourselves and you know the answer to that question is an answer that has driven humanity for thousands of years To legitimize ourselves, to justify why we exist why we're here why we're on this planet Why do we do what we do from a really early age? We learn that those who get the good grades and those who play well on the field And those who are the funny ones or the smart ones or whatever those are the ones who seem to easily be legitimized You know, you're legitimate because you have something to offer. And those of us who struggle a little bit to find our way at times can feel illegitimate. And so we find all sorts of ways to drown away our sorrows in that problem of why am I here, you know, and all of that. You know, there's some people who have been extremely successful in what they've done. They've made movies. They've been presidents. They've run great businesses. And some of those people at the end of their careers have a hard time letting go at the end of their lives. And, and some have uh, very similar answers when asked why they have a hard time letting go because they'll say, you know, if I stop contributing to society, I can't really justify my existence anymore. You know, why am I here if I'm not contributing, if I'm not being a part of things? Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you didn't belong? You know, where you felt like you're kind of out of your league? Maybe you were, uh, playing ball and everyone else was better. Or maybe you were in a classroom and everyone else was smarter. I used to work in, uh, I used to live in Chicago and uh, I worked for a number of different families in Chicago who were extremely wealthy families. And I was just a college kid and a buddy of mine worked with these families. And every now and then they'd throw one of these high society parties and they'd ask us to come to the party. Well, we'd show up in our college gear with our college haircuts and our college attitudes, you know, and we come walking into this party and all of a sudden this is like black tie event, you know, and we're like, oh, wow, we are so out of place right now. And it would have been so much easier if I was just wearing like a catering uniform or something, you know, but I wasn't. I was just wearing like my college gear, you know, and I I felt so awkward in those moments. Like, how do I justify that I'm here? How do I legitimize the fact that I'm here with all these people who are looking at me like, dude, what are you doing here, (laughs) you know? And that's how I felt all the time. And we're all a little bit this way in life in general, you know? All of us at times kind of look around and we're like, do I really belong here? Why am I here? What am I contributing? You know, what do I bring to the table? And there's there's that sense in all of us. And if we get too confident and too comfortable and say, well, I know why I'm here. I'm just wondering why the rest of you are here. That's when we find ourselves in real difficult spot, right? But we all kind of ask the question at times, What legitimizes my existence here? What justifies me being here on this planet breathing, you know, what justifies and and how much more is that the case when we walk into the presence of God, of a holy God, when we come into church and he might ask us, why are you here? Well, that's a tough question to answer, you know. That's a pretty tough question to answer if God Almighty, the Holy One, the Righteous One, the Perfect One, asks us why we are here in His presence. That's a tough question to answer. That's a tough question. And I I might have to ask myself, well, what have I done that impresses God, you know? Or what have I done that's proven myself to God? You know, how is it that he could still want me to be here in his presence with his people in his church? How, how could, how does that all work out? You know, what have I done with my life? That's, that's proven I'm worthwhile, that legitimizes me, which is an important question to answer. But the, the answer is actually pretty scary. And the answer is found in Romans chapter three. And if you have a Bible, you can look there with me. If not, the scripture should be up on the screen. Hopefully, it'll be in a similar translation. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10. It says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. Wow, that's rough. That's totally brutal. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Man, that's tough to hear. But the good news is, is we're all in the same boat, right? It's not there's one guy with the great grades who, uh, you know, is throwing off the curve. Well, except that there is Jesus, the perfect one, who threw off the curve. And we have to be perfect in order to have a relationship with God. And this is why, if you took a nice pure glass of water and you put a little drop of poison in it, and you gave it to someone, you could say, you can drink it, it's clean water, except for that drop of poison in it. You know other than that it's a good clean glass of water Well, we can look at our lives and say well i'm a good person except for that drop of sin That's in there which all of a sudden now it taints everything And so here I am and I try to enter the gates of heaven and try to enter the presence of god And he says well, you know, i'd love to welcome you in The only problem is, is I'm righteous and I'm pure. And if I let your drop of sin up in here, all of a sudden things aren't pure anymore and we lose righteousness. So how do we regain fellowship with God? Because all have sinned. And this is what it says down in verse 23 of chapter 3. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what the glory of God is? That's God's character revealed. If you go to my parents' house, and you go up to the second floor of my parents' house, and you walk through the hallway, you look, and there's these pictures hanging all over the wall. And most of these people who are hanging on my parents' wall, I have no idea who they are. But the funniest thing is I look like all of them. It's weird because they're these family members that they have pictures of from when cameras, like before cameras were invented or something, you know? And somehow I look like all these people, even though I don't know them because I resemble them and I reveal their image. And this is what the glory of God is all about. The glory of God is we were created and put on this earth as his heirs, as his sons and daughters, and our job is to look like him. That's our job, not just in our flesh to look like Him, but in our character to look like Him. It's not our facial structure or the shape of my lips that's supposed to look like God. What's supposed to look like God is the way I love my brothers and sisters and the way I'm disciplined and and I sacrifice for others and I have peace and I have joy. That part of me is supposed to reflect my Father in heaven. And that's called His glory, His character revealed. And it says, all have sinned, all have sinned, and fallen short of God's glory. Which means, what happened was, is I was supposed to look like God, like all those pictures on the wall of God, and instead, I looked like something way different, you know? And what we're told is, is that that happened in that dreadful moment in the Garden of Eden, when when the people had wonderful fellowship, Adam and Eve had wonderful fellowship with God, and then something happened. They chose, instead of being obedient sons and daughters of God, they decided that they would be gods of their own life and they would figure out how life could work for themselves. So each one went their own way. Sin entered humanity and we no longer looked like God. And our job, our purpose, why we were here was to look like God and we quickly stopped looking like God. So where does that leave us? What does that do? Well, fortunately, the text doesn't end there. And uh, if you look at Romans 5, it says this. First of all, in verse 19. I want you to look at verse 19 of chapter 5. It said, For just as through the disobedience of the one man, that's Adam in the garden, many were made sinners, all of us were made sinners because we started to look like Adam, so also through the obedience of one man, and that is Jesus, the many will be made what? What's it say? Righteous. You know what it means to be righteous? It means to be right. It means to be holy. It means to be good. It means that I'm putting off good stuff. That when you look at me, there isn't the imperfection. There isn't the sin. There's the purity. There's the holiness. And what we're told right here is that when Adam sinned, all of us became sinners. But when Jesus was obedient to the point of the cross, and when he died on the cross for us, that many are made righteous what that means is is now when I show up at the college party and I've at the well it's not a college party at the high society party and I'm a college kid and I feel out of place or when I go into that classroom and I feel like I'm not smart enough to hang with the rest of them or when I'm hanging out with the friends and I don't feel cool enough to hang out with the rest of them or more importantly when I'm in the presence of God and I know that I'm not holy enough He not only washes away my sin and the ugliness and the shame that keeps me separated, but what he does is he puts a robe on me. And it's a righteous robe. And he tells me stories about my heritage and my family that make me interesting and give me something to talk about at the party. And he puts skills and gifts inside of me. And he tells me that I can accomplish great things. And it makes me belong. And what he does is through his obedience on the cross, if I will choose to trust him, he will make me worthwhile again in the eyes of the Father. And if I will believe even in my own eyes. And I can choose to begin to believe that how everyone else may see me, that God sees me differently. And I can choose to believe what God sees instead of what I see or what others see. You know, the hardest part of the Christian life is not trying to be good. As a matter of fact, if we're just trying to be good, that's not really the Christian life. We can't be righteous. We can't make ourselves righteous. That's Jesus' job. He's the one who makes us righteous by dying on a cross. If we're trying to just atone for our sins, that's not the hard part of the Christian life. That's not the Christian life. I can't atone for my own sins. Only Jesus can. The hard part of the Christian life is one little simple thing. Trusting God. It's what you kids have been talking about all week, trusting God, believing, believing that he's got us, believing that he has made us worthwhile, believing that all the shame that we feel about ourselves, that it's a lie. And the truth is, is that what he sees is legitimate. He sees me as a son of God who he loves or a daughter of God who he loves. And the hardest part is is to just trust him. And instead of running around trying to self-improve my life and get better, to trust him. Listen, I want to tell you this story, okay, and, and we'll close after this story. I, one of my favorite things in the world, my favorite pastime by far, is to surf. I grew up as a little kid surfing on the Jersey Shore, okay? And when you're a little kid, you only need the tiny little waves of Jersey Shore. It gets harder and harder the older you get because you get heavier, and it takes bigger waves to float you. And especially in the summertime when the waves are really small. But two summers ago, I was out, and it was a summer morning, and I decided that I was going to go out early surfing. We were on vacation. And so as the sun was rising, I hit the water, and I'm out, and, and I'm waiting for some waves to come in. I got a few rides here and there, but not much because it was a small day, but it's just a, a perfect place of peace for me, you know, where I'm out on the water, and I'm praying, and I'm interacting with God, and I'm watching the beauty of nature all around me, and I'm catching a few rides here and there, and we had some friends come and visit us on that vacation, and their names are Pastor Josh and Shelby and their family, and they were with us, and we had been talking about surfing the day before, and I, and uh, their their daughters had never seen surfing before, so Josh comes walking up onto the beach and I see him, I look back and I see him out on the beach with his two daughters and I'm like, oh, so I got to show these guys how surfing works, right? So now the pressure's on, right? And I was just sitting here having a good time, chilling, enjoying, the, but now I, I, I want to show these girls what surfing looks like. So, the sets are coming in, but the problem is, is the sets are too small. They're not big enough. And when you've you got to wait for a big enough wave or else it won't carry you. Okay? And, but I'm like, you know what? I'm sick of them waiting for me. So I paddle onto a smaller wave. I catch it. I go to hop up. Sure enough, it's not strong enough to carry me and I have to bail. So I get up and I start paddling back out and wouldn't you know it, the set that I wanted is crashing on my head right now, okay? And so I got to duck dive, and I got to paddle back out there. I wait and wait and wait, and then eventually I'm like, you know what? There's not a bigger set coming. I'm going to try it with a smaller set. Whole cycle happened like three times where I, I, I didn't wait because I wanted to show these guys what it's like to surf, and I didn't wait for the right wave. Before that, I was catching rides just fine. Eventually, the kids are getting antsy or whatever. They go back to the house. I forget about trying to show them how to surf and I go back to enjoying a good time, actually catching rides and having a good time because I'm in that place where I'm not trying so hard to show anyone anything where I'm just enjoying the presence of God and the waves around me. Listen, our lives are messed up for one reason, because we still try to legitimize ourselves. We still try to spend our lives getting better at this, providing security for my family, getting ahead at work, making sure I'm having enough fun with my life, doing this, doing that. And I spend my whole life trying hard to legitimize myself and to show myself to everyone else and to myself and to God. When the truth is Jesus died on the cross to tell us it's okay already, You don't have to show anything. I've made you righteous. I put a ring on your finger and a robe on your back, and I told everyone how incredible you are, especially my father, and he thinks the world of you. There's one thing that you have to do. Quit running around, acting like a crazy person who still has to legitimize themselves, and trust me, I got you, I love you, just believe in it. And if you will, all of a sudden, life will calm down a little bit, and you can chill out and enjoy my presence And the waves of what I have for you in your life, you can ride them with great enjoyment with the Holy Spirit on your side. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. And the moral of this story is the moral that we have had all throughout our week, that no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter where we are, no matter what anyone else thinks, there's one thing that we need to do. And kids, I want to hear what it is. What do we need to do? Trust God. Let's pray.